I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome back to Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. I've wanted to do this episode for some time. In it, I talk to Linda Owens, who is the Information Officer for SIBS. I've known Linda for some years and I've always been struck by her knowledge, common sense and compassion. SIBS is a charity which supports children and adults who grow up with a brother or sister with additional needs or a long-term health condition. A lot of the advice Linda gives could be applied to a family who doesn't have a child with these additional needs. And there's a lot to learn here about sibling dynamics in general. But of course, when a child does have additional needs, the sibling can often get overlooked and their needs can feel, especially to them, as not important in the scheme of things. Linda talks about how to have conversations with your children and how to get support for them or for yourself. As Linda explains, we use the word sibling in this episode to denote the person who doesn't have the additional needs and the ones that do as brother or sister. If you'd like to listen to this podcast ad-free and before it goes on general release, please consider becoming a patron from just £3 a month or you can give a one-off donation via ACAST supporter. Both links will be in the episode description. Linda, hello. It's great to talk to you. Can we start by you just tell me a little bit about what you do and the organisation you work for, SIBS. Of course, thank you for inviting me. I work for SIBS, which is the only UK charity uh, representing the needs of siblings of people uh, with disabilities or additional needs. And we have a service for young siblings, for adult siblings, and also provide information for parents and professionals. And when we say sibling, really we're referring to the children and the young people who are born with a brother or sister who has additional needs. And what sort of questions do you get asked? Why do people come to you? Siblings need information at all points in their lives, but that information varies depending on the situation. So young siblings will contact us saying, I'm really struggling because my brother or sister's going into hospital and I'm scared. We get inquiries from adult siblings who are making really difficult decisions about supporting their brothers and sisters with adult services or care needs. And then we also respond to inquiries from parents and professionals who are learning about siblings and want to do their best to support them, whether that be in a school 
or a children's centre or a hospital. So we cover lots of different areas. So it strikes me that quite a lot of it is quite practical. Is that correct? It is practical, but it's also very emotional because all of the practical inquiries come from a place of care, support and love. So the emotion is is very bound up in the practicalities. We have spoken quite a few times haven't we over the years and what struck me is that even in a family where there isn't a child with additional needs sometimes one sibling can be regarded as the one that's okay and sort of doesn't present as particularly needy and what I've been struck by is how there's so many similarities even in a family where there aren't those needs do you know what I mean? Would you Absolutely. say that's quite fair? Yeah, and I think with siblings particularly, what we find is very often they're labelled from a very early age as the good child. So the child who is there to do well in school, to not be difficult, to excel, sadly to fulfil lots of the dreams potentially of the parents who find themselves in a family that they didn't see coming sometimes. But that puts a huge amount of pressure on the sibling to be something and often ignores their own feelings, needs, emotions in a particular situation. And I would imagine, in in your experience at least, can that be augmented in a family situation where there is a child with additional needs? Absolutely, because... A child with additional needs, there's lots of external stresses. There's often hospital appointments, there's coping with a new diagnosis, there's coping with the impact of the diagnosis. But alongside that, you've got a sibling who is coping with the normal everyday things of getting up, going to school, coping with schoolwork, friendship issues. But the difference is at home, they often don't have that emotional freedom to say, I'm really struggling with my homework. I'm really struggling with falling out with a friend because the context is the parent is coping with a brother or sister who's in hospital that day or is having some really significant care input that day. And so the sibling might think, well, I can't bother mum or dad with friendship issues because they've got far too much going on. That's not for them to worry about. I'll have to deal with it myself. And so it can have the impact of isolating that sibling, making them feel that they can't go to a trusted adult because they feel that their needs are less important, essentially, and that that can be really difficult to deal with. Yeah, I can completely see that. If your brother or sister is in hospital or having cancer treatment, it it might seem really petty to say, I don't know, I lost my favourite pencil at school and I'm really upset. Absolutely. What kind of additional needs do you see, just to help our listeners understand? Okay, so we get lots of inquiries from siblings who have brothers and sisters with autism or ADHD. And very often those diagnoses are not from birth. So there are diagnoses that happens when that brother or sister might be five, six, seven years old. And although for the parent, that can be really helpful to have a diagnosis and it cannot go a long way to explaining behaviours, clarifying behaviours. For the sibling, nothing's really changed. Their brother or sister is still their brother or sister. It's just that now everyone's suddenly really involved with what's going on with them. But Mm. from the sibling's point of view, nothing's changed. You've still got a really annoying brother or sister sometimes who can be messy or destructive or, or challenging to be with. They still love them and that's very, very clear. But what the sibling needs help with is coping with the impact of that behaviour, particularly in terms of autism. So autism is a big one really for siblings. What might a sibling who has a brother or sister who has autism, 
What might they come to you saying? The starting point will often be a situation that's happened. So it will be a, a young sibling who may contact me saying, I'm really annoyed because I can't have friends over to play because my parents can't manage an extra person in the house or I'm too embarrassed to have a friend over to play because of how my brother or sister behaves or I feel really lonely because at school people laugh at my brother or sister and they don't want to be friends with me and really they come to me because they're feeling lonely and isolated but what they don't want to be seen is, is that they don't love their brother or sister they adore their brother or sister mm. lots of the time but that doesn't mean that they don't find their behavior really really difficult and challenging to deal with so what I try and do is encourage the siblings to speak to the trusted adult whether that's a parent a carer it could even be a teacher uh, a supervisor at school a teaching assistant anybody that they know and trust to say to them I'm actually feeling really unhappy about something and I need to, and I need to talk about it because their feelings are just as valid. And that's the bit that's often missed. It's okay to not like a behavior. It doesn't mean that you don't love the person who is displaying that behavior and siblings need help untangling that. Yes, because I can imagine all of us in everyday situations sometimes have that feeling of what about me? And what about my needs? But I can imagine that in a family where you have a brother or sister with additional needs, which could be mild or really severe, those are really, really augmented and you can feel like you just don't have the space to, to talk about them. And also you can, I think, fall into patterns. So you want to help your mum and dad. But as time goes on, I mean, I know families where they will say, oh, they're so good. They're so good. They never complain. I always think, ah, oh, I wonder what they're suppressing. That's where, yes, a, child, a, a silent child or a child who never complains, well, that all behaviour is communication, isn't it? And what they're mm. communicating there is that they don't feel heard a lot of the time. We do get a lot of parents also coming to us saying, I'm really struggling with my children fighting with each other and arguing with each other. And we know that all brothers and sisters fight and argue. But some of the parents come with this perspective that I need the sibling to be good. I've got enough going on. Why mm. can't they just behave themselves? Why are they acting out when they can see that things are so difficult for me and what we try and explain is that for a sibling all attention is good attention and if that attention is by taking a toy away to provoke a meltdown or by one refusing to hand over um, the ipad or the phone when it's not their turn to play with it the parent sees that as the sibling just being actually really awkward but what the sibling is saying is i'm just as important why can't i do what i want to do but it presents as argumentative and difficult behaviour. But actually what, what it's really saying is, I have needs too. Please see me. Please see my needs as well as my brother or sister's needs. So we do a lot of work with parents to try and help them interpret the sibling's behaviour in a way that isn't just binary. They're naughty or they're good, mm. which is very often the case. Yes, and that must be really hard for the parents as well, because you do tend to kind of go to the child that's sort of need you the most it's a bit like when they say you know there's a car crash the people you should attend to are the silent people not the ones screaming but I think there can be a real tendency when you're stressed and sleep deprived and worried and you know have been putting up with this day in and day out to kind of forget the sibling who is helping and who is good in inverted commas but what can you say to those parents? Well, first of all, we completely acknowledge that it is not an easy life being a parent. And it's particularly not an easy life if you're a parent with children who have additional needs. So that is our starting point. We know that life is difficult completely. 
what we try and work with parents to see is to see the sibling as an individual in their own right and not just the good child or not just the child who doesn't cause any trouble and to try and encourage that parent just to spend a tiny bit of time with that sibling every day or every week that's just their time so that might be five minutes before bedtime it might be the car ride to school it's about trying to carve out little bits of time when they actually look at the sibling and say how are things going with you tell me about it what what is what's going on is it everything okay uh, I think parents often feel it's more important to have special time to do something mm. let's go pottery painting let's go and actually siblings just want a bit of a chat sometimes so we try and encourage the parents not to challenge themselves too much with having to be the perfect parent or the parent who provides all the fun activities just try and carve out that little bit of time to speak to the sibling on a regular basis so they know that Monday at four o'clock before we have tea that's my time when I'm going to have a chat or bedtime when it's 10 minutes and the brother or sister might be in bed that's my time when I'm going to have a chat but just trying to create those little bits of space to have those conversations could be really, really valuable for siblings because they just want to be seen and heard. Absolutely. I think if we all think back to special times with our parents, they were usually quite ordinary. For me, it was watching the boxing with my dad on a Saturday when he came home between shifts, watching black and white movies with my mum, going to jumble sales with her. And I do think parents, especially now, when there's so much expected of us, there's so much going on. We tend to have cars, we can drive places. But actually, it's that one-on-one -on -one time where you just really see someone. And I think I can't overemphasize kind of how important that is. And, and even if you can't, because some people I know have said to me, I find it really hard to have regular time. You could just say, look, I know I promised you this and it must be really upsetting, but we'll do it tomorrow and try and stick to it because trust is built from knowing you can rely on someone it is and I think siblings particularly are very used to being last in the queue mm. so very often you know it'll be there'd be a day out planned or a party planned or a big event and it just can't happen because there's a health issue or a health crisis or a behavioral crisis so they're actually quite stoical siblings when it comes to being let down because it's just what they've come to expect because life's like that so if you can be that person who says I'm not going to let you down I am going to do this and what we try and say is if the point at which you know that sibling is saying they need attention, you just can't do it, just explain that to them and say, I really would love to sit down and talk to you about this now. I can't, but we will do this and we will do this tomorrow morning before you go to school and then you have to stick to it. But I think siblings are very good at not making it a nuisance of themselves and not saying, no, talk to me now. They go, that's fine. And they just put themselves to one side. And whilst that can be easy for a parent, in the long term, we know that siblings can be really damaged by that because they just feel all through life that their needs aren't important. And that translates across school, across employment and across their own personal aims and ambitions. So the more we can help siblings to voice their needs from a young age in a helpful uh, and, and clear way, the better really for their long term prospects. I was going to ask you about the long-term impact because mm. I can imagine that if you've constantly sort of put yourself second or third, that's a pattern you're going to become used to. But also if you're scared to be anything but the good, helpful child, mm. I know just generally speaking that has a, a really big impact because th those are the patterns that you end up repeating when you feel your needs aren't so important. 
think it must be so hard for siblings because if they have a brother or sister with a very impactful condition it's kind of forever really and that must feel quite trapping I mean certainly for the parents as well and no picnic for the the brother or sister but for the sibling who's alongside it and maybe sees what it could be like because they don't have the additional needs that must have quite an impact as well I think so we do get a lot of inquiries from young siblings and young adult siblings particularly about the future and worries about the future because when you're 16 17 you're thinking about university thinking about going to college if you've been that carer that source of support for your parents helping with your brother or sister for all those years it's a big deal to go away and leave that and think how on earth is my parent going to cope how's my brother or sister going to cope will they miss me we help train people to run sibling groups for siblings from ages sort of seven upwards really and part of the focus of those groups is to really work with siblings to establish what their future goals and ambitions are and to to validate them and to say it's okay if you want to go away to university or college you absolutely should that's your future that's your ambition and it's helping them see that they have a right to those dreams and ambitions and their role isn't always going to be that young carer or that additional support for mum and dad or whoever's looking after their brother or sister. But the earlier that work starts with siblings, the better, because very often they'll get to 17 years old and and no one's ever thought about what's going to happen when they leave home. Mm. And sadly, sometimes there is an expectation that they're not going to leave home. They Mm. are going to actually stay and be that extra source of support. It is really tricky. It's really challenging. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me as a very fine line really in all human relationships when you love someone that line of looking after yourself and looking after someone else or feeling responsible your sense of duty it's all very well people saying oh but you know you've got your own life it's rarely that clear-cut I find in the problems that I get about siblings or just generally what would you say to a sibling that feels torn let's say the example of going to university yeah yeah I mean, this is a, a letter that I get, you know, I'm, I'm deciding whether to apply to university or not. The advice that I'd give is, your, your starting point is we know that you, you love your brother or sister. So going away doesn't mean that you don't love your brother or sister, because I think that's often what they worry about. They worry mm-hmm. that they feel they're abandoning the family mm-hmm. unit, they're abandoning that brother or sister. So your starting point is, that's absolutely fine to do that. The trickier bit is that coming to terms with the fact that this is a lifelong relationship. Siblings have a lifelong relationship with their brother or sister. So therefore, the more you can do to further your own um, positive life chances, the more likely you are to be in, 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 a, in a good place where you can support your brother and sister emotionally in mm-hmm. the future. Not necessarily practically, but emotionally, because there will possibly be some emotional difficult decisions to make further in the future but if you yourself feel that your needs are met your ambitions are are healthy and you can achieve what what you feel you want to achieve you're in a better position emotionally to support that brother or sister and then it's about really practical strategies so when you go away to university it's about how are you going to keep in touch you know a range of times do your whatsapping or your facetiming but also manage that it's quite stressful for siblings when they're away at university and they can see a family WhatsApp group going berserk because something's happened at home. Know when it's okay to mute those chats. Doesn't mean you don't love them, doesn't mean you don't want to be involved, but sometimes it's okay to step away and say, actually, I'm doing my thing now. 
I can't be involved in that. I'm going to mute that chat and come back to it at a time when I feel better able to deal with it. So it's about really empowering the sibling to make decisions about how they interact with their family and their brothers and sisters when they leave. But always the suggestion is if you feel that's what you want to do, you absolutely need to go and do it and find the support to do that. Yes, because I can imagine there's quite a lot of guilt involved as well, because, you know, you can leave home and your brother or sister might not be able to. And there's that weight of expectation, isn't there, as well, that you're the one to go away to university and be the great success. What if you Mm. go away to university and you hate it and you don't like it? Should you stick it out because you're the only one in the family who can go to university? And again, there's that advice. It doesn't matter if you're not happy. You haven't got to be the one that performs. You haven't got to be the one who achieves everything. And I think very often parents don't realise they're putting that expectation on the sibling. And it can be really eye-opening for a parent when you have that conversation and say, have you ever spoken to your uh, non-disabled child about what their dreams and ambitions are? And actually have that conversation about what they actually want to do rather than what they feel they ought to be doing yeah and that's hard as well because children often they think they're being honest with themselves but actually either because they're kind or they've been conditioned but they may say what they think the parent needs to hear but they think it's what they also want I think it does take a certain skill to be able to separate out and really hone in on what you want free of all the expectations and responsibilities Absolutely. And we do encourage siblings to talk to people outside the family a lot of the time. We try to get schools involved because if you've got a teacher, teaching assistant, pastoral worker, it's often a lot easier to have those conversations away from the family where there isn't that overlay of emotion. We really, really encourage those external conversations to take place in the knowledge that, you know, with the family know mm. there's nothing secretive about it, but it's more, they're more able to express their feelings Um, without that guilt to um, a third party often who can then go back and talk to the parent and say actually I've been speaking to so and so and they're really worried about how you might feel about this can we help with that you know and we try and facilitate those sort of three-way conversations Mm. to help siblings really express themselves to a parent who they don't want to worry that's what it really comes down to. You said earlier that the earlier these conversations can happen, the better. I don't imagine there's going to be many three or four-year-olds listening to this. (laughs) But if there are parents and perhaps their situation is quite new and they have got young children, what would you say to them about how to start helping the sibling? I think our advice tends to be do it on a need-to-know basis. So sometimes a parent will get a new diagnosis for one of their children and will then leap on that and and think they've got to tell the sibling all about it and say, well, it means this might happen, it means this might happen. And actually, that's just not necessary. So our advice would always be respond to questions when they come from the siblings Mm -hmm. and different questions will come at different points in time, but be very much led by what the sibling wants to know rather than what you feel they ought to know. And we find that that sort of Drip feeding almost of information when you get a new diagnosis can be much more helpful to a sibling than just ambushing them with this has happened. The other advice would be don't expect the sibling to deal with the diagnosis at the same rate that you're dealing with it. So you might feel it's all great and you've got as a parent, you've got answers to your questions, you know, know you've got a plan effectively. Mm -hmm. The sibling might not move at the same pace as that. The sibling might not want to move at the same pace as that. So try to manage your expectations about the impact of a diagnosis on a sibling. And that can go both ways. They might be entirely unbothered 
by it, which is fine. Or they might be overly anxious about it, which is also fine. But try, our advice would always be try and have no expectations about how the sibling may react to a new diagnosis. Just be led by them and their questions. And also try and involve um, schools and other professionals where you can. So the more a school knows about what's going on at home, the more they can support that sibling in school. Because schools are really tricky places for siblings because they have issues all the time for things like it's difficult to find a quiet place to do homework. So your homework might not be in on time if you've got things going on at home. It might be that you don't have the right kit to go to school with because things are busy and chaotic at home. So you mm. might not have your pee kit every time. You might have some bullying issues because if your brother or sister goes to the same school, has some additional needs, has some behavioural challenges, you might bear the brunt of that. You also, as a sibling, are very often asked to intervene, which is really frustrating particularly in primary settings. If you've got a young person with autism who may be having a meltdown, it's not unheard of for a teacher to say, oh, their mm. sibling knows what to do. Should we get them in and see if they can calm them down? Schools are really challenging places for siblings. So the more you can have those conversations with schools, the better for the sibling, really. That's all really, really helpful. And I totally agree about be led by them, especially with young children. I've got this mantra, which I learned years ago, which is listen to the question, answer the question, be calm and factual because often people don't listen to the question because they think they know what their child is asking and they go into a massive long explanation and the child is so confused i think children tend to ask what they can handle certainly that's my experience of young children definitely definitely and i think as you say it's not about superimposing what you feel they ought to know on your answer it's about listening and also the other thing we try and do is help parents and professionals identify the feelings behind the question or behind the behaviour and we do a lot of work with young siblings with them identifying their own feelings because again we find the more they're able to articulate what they're feeling and validate what they're feeling the better so if they're writing to us because I don't know that their brother or sister's going into hospital and there may be some issue that they present as a part of that but what they're really saying is I feel frightened and Mm. I feel worried. So we try to work with siblings to reflect that back to them and say, you've told us that your brother and sister or sister is going into hospital. It sounds as though that makes you feel worried. It sounds as though you feel scared about what might happen and you need to talk to somebody about that. So it's trying to give the words to the feelings a lot of the time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If a sibling wants to go into a particular situation, maybe a hospital, hmm. it's really helpful to explain what they're going to see. Yes. Because again, we take it for granted that we know what that is or what we might see. And I know that when I've been in those situations, I've said, this is what we're going to do. This is what you might see. And this is what might happen. And they've found that really helpful because I think we just assume a lot in all sorts of situations. So I suppose in that circumstance, you wouldn't necessarily answer just their questions because they wouldn't know. But would you agree that would be helpful? Definitely, because the unknown is a huge source of fear for siblings. If a brother or sister disappears for a week or so and then comes back and they have no context, that's really difficult. So that it can be really valuable for a sibling to know where they're going, what's happening. And we do that in lots of different ways. So it might be beginning with some photographs show them a picture of this is the ward, this is the bed, this is where they're going to have the tea. Just try and do a little background work on the actual setting if you can and then deal with any questions at that point and then it can be really helpful to yeah to go into the setting and to see what's actually going on because not being told parents often feel that they're protecting siblings mm. by not telling them things and just saying it's fine they're going away for a few days then they'll be coming home it's all fine and what the sibling just sees is this huge gap of time where anything could happen they don't know what's going on and it's not actually protecting the sibling it's making it horrifically worse for them because they're imagining all sorts of things so the more you can do to give information at an appropriate level the better for the sibling, definitely. Yeah. And we also have lots of books that we recommend as well. So there's a lot of work that you can do around social stories and, and fiction and picture books with younger children to talk through those situations in a way that sort of answers some of those questions for them as well. Because it also can be quite excluding. I mean, I've definitely seen parents say, oh, no, no, we don't want to tell them, we don't want to worry them. And so everyone goes off somewhere and the sibling is left with a babysitter or another relative and everyone thinks they're protecting them but actually they just feel completely excluded they don't know what's going on I also totally agree about photographs if it's appropriate because if a child's never been into hospital I mean certainly also for the brother or sister with additional needs depending on what they are it's definitely helpful to tell them what's going on if that's appropriate but the visiting sibling you know I think just say it's a ward it's like this if you've got any reference point you can tell them this is what you might see that, that exclusion can be really hurtful to a mm. sibling and then they might not clearly that's not the intention but I think this is where wider family can come in in a really positive way where we know that siblings as we were saying before really value one-on-one -on -one time and it can be seen as an opportunity if you're as a parent have to be in hospital with a with one of your children 
and as you, you describe, you're leaving the sibling with a family member, try and turn that into a positive opportunity for one-on-one -on -one time to do some things, to play some games, watch a film. It doesn't have to be exciting particularly, but to really put some positive time and attention into that sibling alongside the context that this is what's going on at the hospital. This is what you need to know about it. Right, let's put that to one side. How can we try and have a nice time in the meantime and try and turn it into a bit of an opportunity rather than just this vacuum of worry, which is what it can be. Oh gosh, I remember as a child when I wasn't told things, my imagination was so much worse than what was actually going on. <laughs> Facts have always comforted me and I think that's partly my personality but partly because I grew up and certain things weren't explained to protect me, but actually all that happened, it's like you said, you created a vacuum with which I filled with horror stories. Exactly. And I think it's the same with the diagnosis as well, that often when not even telling a sibling what a diagnosis is because it might be seen as worrying, the not telling is far worse than just telling at an age-appropriate level and then managing those questions. So always share information where possible. This brings me on to my next question, which is... If the brother or sister has a life-limiting um, illness and the sibling asks, would you tell them? As a parent, it's a really awful question, isn't it? And it's one that you never want to have to be in the position of answering. Where we have come into this uh, as a charity is um, when we're working with parents, we're very clear about being straightforward with the sibling. Don't fob them off. Don't say it's all going to be fine if it's not. But it's also okay to say, I don't know. Or the question is, are they going to die? We hear that a lot. So are they going to die? It's about where does that come from? Is it because someone's told them that their brother or sister is going to die? Is it their own worry? And then if they are going to, in a shortish space of time, it's about having those really sensitive conversations, but with professional help. So we refer to charities like Winston's Wish, for example, or we work with the hospices. So we definitely advocate working with professionals to manage those conversations with siblings. But you have to have those conversations with the siblings if you have a brother or sister with a life-limiting illness or condition. Because what you don't want is well-meaning friends, neighbours, relatives to come in with the wrong information or information that sibling doesn't know about so I think as a parent it's important to manage that conversation very sensitively but very openly yeah and also you can have that conversation in a safe place because what might also happen is if other people know they mm. overhear it or someone else says it and and then they might not you know they might hear it in the playground you can role play responses as well if you've had those conversations. So someone says your brother's going to die. If you've role played how to deal with that sibling and say, well, we're all going to die sometime and my brother's got this condition that might mean he dies a bit sooner. Mm. And that's really sad and that makes me sad. Have a response prepared mm. that they can then practice with you. So then when they're in a difficult situation and someone's at them with it, they've got a response that they can use really. So yeah, rehearsing and role playing those conversations can be really helpful with siblings. Yeah, they really can because I think panic and stress and defensiveness mm. can make you say and do things you didn't mean to. Linda, earlier you said about allowing people to talk about their emotions, but also being aware of what the feelings might be behind them, might not be what they express. I know that, you know, in the letters I get, 
and in life in general quite often people are angry when they are anxious just i mean or they're yeah, yeah. you know they say, so what kind of sort of headlines do you see and what might the subtitles be in your experience particularly we see anger we can see fighting we can see really quite aggressive behavior with the brother or sister involved and it's usually at a pressure point when the parent really could do without it so it might be when you're when they're leaving for school in the morning suddenly the sibling isn't playing ball won't do what they're told and will not budge from where they're supposed to be becomes very obstructive and it's usually at the point when the parents least able to deal with it and it all blows up into a huge row What's often behind that, for as using school as an example, is that sibling's frightened about going to school because they might be being bullied, there might be something going on. They might be nervous about leaving the brother or sister because there might be a particular appointment that day that's making them nervous. They might feel unsupported about dealing with that school day and haven't had a conversation with um, a parent or carer about what's going on at school. How that presents is, I'm not going to do this, you can't make me who are you, big tantrum meltdown. The challenge is at that particular pinch point, the parent does not have the time or energy to say, let's have a chat about how you're feeling. Mm. So the best thing you can do is help them identify those feelings, say, I can see you're angry, you're stressed about something, I can see that you're worried, we need to get to school now, but I can see you're feeling those things and we're going to have a chat about that later on when you get home from school, I promise you that. And it's trying to just see through the behaviour nail the feeling so the sibling feels seen and then if you can deal with it at the time obviously do if you can't at least that sibling will feel seen and will feel validated that okay you can you know me you can see that this isn't me this behavior this is because I'm feeling something big and I can't express it so it's trying to help the sibling identify those feelings even when they don't know them themselves if that makes sense absolutely and also reflecting it back to them I mean that's that's really good advice just generally. What would you say with this, was the sort of pervading emotion with siblings? That's a really tricky one. I think there's a lot of guilt, to be absolutely honest. I think there's a lot of guilt about being the one who is, I'm using quotation marks here, okay. Mm. And I think there's a lot of guilt in, therefore, if they have problems, who are they to have problems? That They should be grateful to be, that, be alive mm. and be healthy. So I think guilt is a pervading emotion really and also anxiety about their brother or sister and what's going on with them and how that's going to translate to when they get to be a teenager, when they get to be an adult, when they get to be older. So I think sadly guilt guilt and anxiety are the two that come through most strongly to me when I'm dealing with with the inquiries that come in to, to young sibs. And I mean, if you can answer this, I'll give you a million pounds if I had it. How do you deal with the guilt? Because guilt is something that I think it's a useless emotion and yet one a lot of people suffer from, especially us Catholic Catholics. Absolutely, um, yeah. How do you help a sibling deal with guilt? I think it's trying to reframe it. So it's about if they, they would never come and say, I feel guilty. They would come and say something like, I feel bad that I get to go on the year six trip and my, my brother can't. Or I feel bad that I'm allowed to go and play at my friend's house and my brother can't. And it's about trying to help them realise that their feelings are okay. And it's okay to feel bad about something. You acknowledge that that's how you feel. But then actually try and feel happy that you get to have that experience and you can come back and tell your brother and sister about that experience you can share it in a small way you can 
give your parents a break by being that person who isn't in the house and requiring to be fed while you're away on that trip. So it's trying to look at the situation that's causing the guilt, acknowledge it, and just the worst thing you can say to a sibling is, well, don't feel guilty. Of course, that's the worst thing you can say to any child. Don't feel something. You Mm. feel what you feel. Okay, you feel guilty. Why do you feel guilty? Well, you feel guilty because you're healthy and able to do things that they can't. You are, you're lucky, you're fortunate. That's a good thing. And then just try and gently move it across to the, let's try and feel good about what you do have. And then see about how you can help make your brother or sister's life better in a small way by sharing that way you can. But try to just, rather than saying don't feel it, redirect, refocus them on the positives of what they want to do rather than the guilt about what their brother or sister can't do. Oh, yeah, I can't bear it when people say don't feel something, oh. don't cry, don't feel this. Or, oh, oh my you gosh, feel my... it, just feel it. It's, it's okay just, to feel it. It just, it's so blocking and so useless and it's really about the other person. They don't know what to say. So it's okay to say to a parent, it's okay to be able to say, I don't know what to say about that. We do a yeah. lot of this and we call it, you, but I'm wish that you can't give. So if a, a child sits down and says, I really wish that my brother didn't have autism because it means we can't do X, Y, and Z. It's okay to sit there and say, I know you wish that and life would be a lot easier if he didn't and life would be different and, and I wish I could make your wish come true, but I can't. But it's okay for you to wish that. It's okay for to wish something away in, in that moment and to not say to somebody, of course you don't mean that, you love your brother or sister. Well, they're not saying they don't love their brother or mm. sister. What they're saying is, I wish life wasn't like this. And it's okay as a parent to say, yeah, I wish life wasn't like this sometimes as well. That's okay. Because I can imagine a lot of the time where they sort of say, I hate my brother or sister. And they may well do because we don't want to tell them they don't feel something. But I would imagine possibly what they hate is the situation. It's especially when you're, I mean, it's hard enough when you're an adult, but when you're young, it's very hard to feel feelings that are seen as less than positive. It is. Because you feel guilty and bad about yourself or that you should somehow sort of be stronger. But I think what you said earlier about you're better able to cope if you look after your own needs is so true. It's quite hard to live by. I mean, I remember someone ages ago told me about being a parent and they said, you know, if your own cup is full, you can feed your children from it or let your children drink or whatever image you want. And it was such a sort of simple image, but it really helped me because I thought, actually, if my cup is empty... I'm not helping anyone. Whereas if you can, if you need to step away, I mean, I know it's not always possible, it does help with kind of filling up your reserves again. It does. And self-care, we really advocate that from a young age for siblings. And that's tiny bits of self-care. We've got a little um, post on our website at the moment about spending time with pets. Just stroking a pet, watching your goldfish, playing with your dog, anything that... as you say, fills your cup, gives you that emotional resilience that means you feel okay about yourself, you feel okay about your situation. You are then better able to deal with those challenges of living with brothers and sisters with additional needs and challenges every day. If you feel okay in yourself and you feel valid and you feel that all your feelings are valid, that just means you're in a better position to deal with those daily challenges. And that starts at such a young age. But then we see the teenagers who are coming through and speaking to us, who've been in contact with SIBS for some years, saying, actually, it does really help when I write things down. It does really help um, when I talk to a teacher. And it has really helped that I can explain how I feel using the appropriate words. But that work starts at a very young age for siblings. Do you have any other sort of practical advice? I was thinking things like, you know, it sounds so trite, but sometimes just stepping away 
and changing scenery if you can do you have any other practical advice for people which may sound obvious but you can forget in the moment I think you're right I think that the stepping away can can be really really helpful I think using a family network or a friends network to reduce the intensity can be really helpful sometimes we try and encourage families to use all the networks available so if you can as a sibling take a night away at a grandparent's house that can be massively valuable or an afternoon with a family friend just going for a walk around the park just that time away to reduce the intensity I think we find is the single most valuable thing that siblings can have the one-on-one time and the time away from that intense experience of heightened emotion very often in a house and, and heightened behaviours and situations so time away however small I think is the other thing we try to tell parents don't aim too high with siblings don't promise the earth and then fail to deliver say yes you can have your half an hour in the bedroom with the ipad I promise you your brother or sister will not get in your face for that half an hour go and enjoy your peace and quiet your needs come first for that half an hour Mm. that's really validating for a sibling their needs are coming first wow that's all they want to hear sometimes And do you point people to other services as well? I mean, we've used autism as an example. We work with a lot of condition-specific organisations, definitely. So we work with um, the NAS, the National Autistic Society, Winston's Wish. There's lots and lots of good information on MIND as well, that particularly for, obviously, young people's mental health. So we will always signpost onto condition-specific or theme-specific, if you like, organisations where we can particularly when you're dealing with a, a disability set. We've just done some work with um, stroke.org.uk to do some information on our website for stroke um, and childhood stroke. So our, our website has lots of different conditions um, that siblings will come across. So what we try and do is create um, some basic information about that condition for the sibling to read at an age-appropriate level, but we will then signpost them onto a a specialist organisation, if you like, if they need more information further down the line. And what's the kind of rough age of people contacting you? I I know you do with children and adult siblings. Mm. So we'll have the young siblings, which is, it's ages 7 to 17, really, and that's for siblings to write in and contact us if they've got um, worries or issues and then we can respond to, but that's what our Young Sibs website has information aimed at that particular age range about Mm -hmm. feelings, understanding disability, coping with difficult things at home. We then have groups for adult siblings, so we train sibling group leaders to run these groups so adult siblings can come together and, and share their experiences. And then we also provide information and training for parents and professionals in different settings as well so really it's from the point of diagnosis so if it's a baby that's been diagnosed we're there to support those siblings right through we hold you basically so if you come to SIBS from the point at which you reach us we will hold you until you need us. Mm-hmm. And how can people contact you obviously we'll be putting your website but do you have a helpline is it an email helpline? So we have sibs.org.uk is our website and then um, inquiries can go to info at sibs.org.uk and then we will filter it out to the appropriate service if it comes through to that central contact. And you told me once you do something very special for people who write in. Well, yes, because we do like to do personal responses. So any sibling that writes to us will get a personal email uh, from me that's very specifically tailored to them about their particular worries, issues. And this can emerge into a dialogue between us and the sibling. But yes, it's a a personalised 
uh, response to any sibling that writes in or contact us, we will contact you back and it will be just to you and you alone, a personally written and tailored response for you. Oh, I think that's lovely. How lucky they are to get a response. <laughs> we know um, they value it. It's lovely. It really does matter, especially these days where everything is automated. Linda, thank you so much for your time and expertise. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking to me today. With huge thanks to Linda, do please visit the website sibs.org.uk. Sibs does amazing work and has a dedicated young Sibs section on its website and also one for adult siblings. There's loads of information on there and also how to get help and support. The producer is Hester Kant, the music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Low Cole. If you'd like to read my column, it appears every Saturday in The Guardian Saturday magazine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.